Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we'll talk about England, and in particular Gareth Southgate. Has his mood changed this summer? Let us know what you think about that. Uh, We'll also be talking about Scotland and Wales. Lackluster performances for Scotland once again. Is Steve Clark under pressure yet? We'll also talk about how Rob Page is getting the groove back with Wales at the moment. We'll be talking as well about gambling sponsorship on Premier League shirts. All that and more on this episode of the game. Hello again. Welcome to the game. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Tom Clark and Alison Rudd. We'll be looking back on a, a lot of international football, some club stories too, on this episode of the game. We've got to start with England, as we have done throughout the Nations League. A nil-nil draw with Italy at Molyneux on Saturday. How will we string together a long conversation <laughs> about the events of the weekend? It was a much-changed England side. They failed to win for the third time in a row. The last time that happened in competitive fixtures, 2006. Seven when they drew it home to North Macedonia, lost in Croatia and were held to a goalless draw in Israel. But it's also four hours or so without scoring from open play in these games for England. Of course, they host Hungary tomorrow. But it was was it another lacklustre England performance? What do we think of it? What was at the heart of it? Alison, I'll start with you. At the heart of it was, I don't think you can blame end of season fatigue and players thinking about the beach for an inability to score goals because there was enough reasonable defending and reasonable imaginative midfield play and some good link-up play for the clue to be there that they decided, well, we're playing, let's try and have a bit of fun. So it's not that at all. It's uh, probably that Italy have throughout my entire life been very good at defending and they continue to be very good at defending in this particular game. Um, and so these things happen but uh, of of the Nations League games so far I think this one had more actually had more interesting talking points because Southgate is rotating like crazy and you can't draw any conclusions really about who he likes and doesn't like except I suspect he's not going to give a starring role to James Ward-Prowse but I really like his composure in an England shirt. I thought some of the more palatable, watchable moves were because of his vision. I really like Declan Rice's energy. You can see him as a future England captain giving blood and guts in a really key game at a major tournament and stirring you know, the troops on and so on. To a valiant defeat, yeah. Same well, old. no, but I mean, you know, this is what... <laughs> it's what happens, it's isn't what, it? <laughs> it's what I want to see from England players is that sense of something extra and different when they put on an England shirt rather than looking slightly less than they normally do. Less in every sense. Character, performance, energy, discipline, talent. I mean, you know, the team's worth, what, over a billion quid and yet 
you know, they cannot find a way to exploit that fact. I think what's at the heart of it is that Gareth Southgate, of everyone involved, looks the most tired. Hmm. That's that's the weird thing. He starts saying things like, I'm not going to outstay my welcome. He looks grumpy on the touchline. He's picking. He's admitting he's picking players that aren't being picked to win the match. Well, what does that say to your the, the players you have selected? I mean, that's probably at the heart of it, isn't it? A lot of those players don't think they're going to be crucial for their country. So there's just it just seems counterproductive to, on the one hand, sound like you're being very sensible because he's a very sensible man, Gareth Southgate, and he's trying to make sure there's no burnout and that. Uh, you know, he tries to refresh the squad but he, in, there's a way of doing that and he didn't do it in the correct way because he made it sound like oh I've got a lot of B-listers out because I don't want to tire out my stars I don't, that's what, <laughs> that was what was at the heart of it Do you agree Tom? Uh, I'm, I'm going to pick up on some of those points with Alison <laughs> shortly because there were a few things there you're right some interesting things to discuss but I just wanted your overarching view as to what you think the issue is Well I think Alison hinted at it there it was it was for me a more interesting and a slightly more improved performance than some of the ones we've seen of late I think and slim pickings of course in the recent fixtures and results but I think Alison's point about the goals as well is a good one you know you're playing Italy and we've got to remember in some of these games where England have won in the past in bigger tournaments than the Nations League they've kind of had the same number of clear-cut chances that they had in that game. Raheem Sterling scores at the back post rather than spooning it over the bar and Tammy Abraham takes his chance after some good pressing work. Maybe you win the game 2-0 and then we're going, well, that was a good turnaround for beating Italy 2-0. Pretty impressive. But I think the point about Gareth Southgate is, is, is an interesting one as well. Owen Slot's written this morning uh, a really interesting piece backing Southgate and the intro goes, not much further to go now with England limping wearily toward the close of this never-ending season. Saturday evening in Wolverhampton made their requirements very clear. Can we please find a nice quiet beach and send Gareth Southgate there for a rest? And I think when Southgate is acting, as he, as Alison pointed out, that kind of says a lot about the overall mood, well, I would I, say, I, around... I don't get why he needs a rest. You don't get why Gareth Southgate needs a rest? No, why, why do international managers need rest? It's because more a break from the thinking, surely, around football. As in the the whole season, because he's never not working, is he? Let's be honest. Give him mm. give him his due. I don't think most international managers are working very hard. You know, he's never not going to well, games. He's never not speaking to players. Yeah, which is the moment, and that's where you earn your money. I mean, I completely disagree with Slotty's intro there because all. Gar- I mean, it looks like the best job in the universe. Mm. He just trucks up, usually with someone famous sat on his left or his right and I mean they may or may not be interesting but he's you know he's a guest of every club he goes to <laughs> but he's not he he's not there, saying he's not he having the sandwiches and... he's not even making notes most of the time he's not got his iPad out he's sat there watching occasionally you get the odd you know raised eyebrow or smile but not that often <laughs> watching game after game after game and if you love football that is fantastic and then he has these rare opportunities they must be you know absolutely oh he must he's supposed to absolutely love these moments when he can bring them all together and create magic I think because that's... he's been watching so much football how can you possibly at the moment where it's the only point at which he's in charge as opposed to watching what other managers are doing he has a chance to show oh let's you know I'll beat my chest and I'll say fantastic things and I'll be inspirational He's he shouldn't be tired and if think, he is tired he should stop I think that's absolutely true apart from this particular international window no I, I disagree 
And I know the Euros was last year, so it's weird because it feels a bit like you've gone from yeah, you've summer gone from, tournament to summer tournament. Yeah, so maybe there's which weird, is which it, is what you have. Yeah, to. there's well, I don't. I'm not that, summer tournament. Get to a final. You know the the hangover go from that holiday, straight yeah. into a season. <laughs> And having to do your work, and I take your point that yes, he does. You know, sit there, but he's not then popping into the box after for a bottle of champagne, is he? He will be doing work. Fine, he's not. Might not be sat there with his iPad all the time, but you're kind of talking there about, you know, visual PR that he should be doing. So no, you want no, no, you want no, him sat no, in the I'm stand, not. you know, with an iPad and furiously <laughs> no, making notes. I'm saying rather than being tired by this point, this is the moment he should spark to life because he knows everyone else who has been running around is tired. Yeah, that's true. But I do think there's a different type of tiredness. It's a you know a general kind of mental fatigue, maybe perhaps with this football see this season. And I do think we're coming to. A, I know. I'm not going to jump in, Hugh, and talk about points that we're perhaps coming to, but Johnny Northcroft wrote in his excellent football newsletter last week about we're heading into this period of where you have the Champions League final nearly in June. Next year, I think we're going to have an FA Cup final in June for the first time in its history or first time for many, many, many decades. And we're getting to this point now, and I do think that's a factor as well. It's not just the physical tiredness of the players. There's this fatigue in general. I mean, I'd, you know, we're, we're doing a podcast about football and it's mid-June and you know there's still lots of things to talk about there are still fixtures happening but I mean I don't know about you guys but my friends of which I kind of judge the level of interest of football and how it's going it's the first time maybe in a WhatsApp chat of about 8 or 10 people no comment about the England game this the, this most recent one yeah I mean, same the first time ever he's ever. paid a lot of money to I'm make not, it interesting I'm not, I'm not saying that's that makes it scarce. I'm just saying that I'm making a more broader point about the general fatigue. It's not necessarily fatigue, though, is it? Because there's a point that you can say this England team has, has lost the interest of a lot of people. Yeah, that's you, know, the, that, you could make that counterpoint. Yeah. There are a lot of football fans that sort of, you know, as we went into these Nations League games and we started the conversations up again about international football, had obviously hung their hat on Gareth Southgate in England. You know, people were talking about favourites for the World Cup. Yeah, because you know, we've been spoiled rotten. We've gone to a semi-final, a final, and now we're kind of going into games against but, Italy and drawing nil-nil, creating a few chances with a very tired team. And actually, is that terrible? Th- no, but there's a part of me. Listen, there, look, uh, let's break it down to some of the things that the that Alison was mentioning there. But there is a part of me that wanted to talk about some of the players. Let's go to that first, then, because James Ward-Prowse, who you mentioned, I, I thought he was all right. You know. Uh, I don't. I don't have strong feelings about him. I, I, well, I, he's I, that sort of player. I, mean, I think that 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 is that is the problem with me. If there's a problem, it's about perception with him. He's very neat and tidy, and mm. looks like uh, you know Mr. Goody Two Shoes. And I think it's just easy to forget forget him. It's because no. he's so neat and tidy. But those, I think those are the players that are essential in a. Disparate, you know, when you're bringing together mm. people from other clubs, he's just well, and his set piece abilities. But, but but I do think that's interesting that we're talking about James Ward-Prowse in this game, where we're talking about excitement and maybe losing the fans, and you're talking about Southgate having some enthusiasm as well at this time of the season. And you think back to England breaks where it's not a qualifier. Yeah, fine. It's the Nations League. It's this kind of mid midpoint, isn't it, between a friendly and a ser- something really serious? You need a player that's not James Ward-Prowse. You need maybe you know Jude Bellingham the next Jude Bellingham so that we're all going oh god this is exciting unfortunately for James Ward-Prowse he's not that type of player he can have the best game of his career and he still won't be exciting enough for a June match against Italy to get everyone's blood going unless he whips one in the top corner but my point on James Ward-Prowse is and listen when I said you know it made me seem same like I don't think he's a great player 
I was very public about this. He should have definitely been in the squad for the Euros. And I would definitely have him in an England squad. I just think since then, Jude Bellingham has emerged more, um, developed more. And I think he's got that place as the sort of, what, now second or third choice as partner to Declan Rice. I mean, Declan Rice is Batman. Everyone's auditioning for Robin, aren't they? Let's be honest, Mm -hmm. in terms of that midfield position, because it's Calvin Phillips... You know, you pull the, the, the lever at Las Vegas and it goes to Jordan Henderson. Then you pull the lever for another game and it might become James Ward-Prowse. There is no one yet who I think, even though Calvin Phillips was great during the Euros, because of the season that he's had, broken up by injury, I don't think he's got that place nailed down as a midfield partner for Declan Rice. So it does, And this is the reason I wanted to talk about these players. Because we can talk about lacklustre performances and the idea that the season was really long. But for all of those players in the squad playing for their place, these games are hugely important. There's no point saying, you know, like Kevin De Bruyne did, oh, what's the point in the Nations League? Why are we even playing these games? When now we've got three games left until the World Cup. If you're James Ward-Prowse, that might be your only opportunity to play out of your skin and get yourself on the plane or at least get yourself involved in the, the upcoming matches before the World Cup so you give yourself another opportunity. Same with Tammy Abraham. For Kai Tamori started at centre-half. He's another one of those players. And, and if Gareth Southgate wanted to inject some urgency into the performances, and I know he made six changes, but all of those fringe players, all of those ones that you say, look, I want to see how they do, put them all in at the same time. Rather than saying, look, let's play two thirds of a, a team that, you know, is, is established. We'll rest Harry Kane. We'll try Tammy Abraham up, up front. I, listen, I know not, they might not have got loads of great chances. Obviously not playing with a first choice team. You know, if Raheem Sterling wasn't there, for example, would Tammy get the chances or whoever it might be that's an established England player. But ultimately, I think those players should be lifting the level, should be lifting the level of intensity massively if they desperately want to be at the World Cup. And I don't think fatigue comes into it because if this was a tournament, all of those players would be running more, fighting more, shooting more, doing more, and fatigue wouldn't have come into their mind. So clearly, two words, Nations League rather than World Cup, have changed the way that they're performing. You make a good point about you know Ward-Prowse, particularly with that position, talking about Rice being Batman and looking for Robin next, next to him. But when you really think about it, you know, you're talking about these players pushing for a place and, you know, getting getting their spot in the team. If we were actually, if we were going into a World Cup knockout game tomorrow, I don't know whether there are too many positions where we don't know who would play. I mean, maybe centre-half partner for John Stones if Harry Maguire's form keeps struggling. Yeah, central midfield partner for Declan Rice because of the injuries to Henderson and Phillips. But I think generally, do we not, basically know who we'd pick so I think then for these other players like James Ward-Prowse you're yes you should be fighting for your place on the plane was the other phrase that you used but you're not really going to be going out there to say I can I can get in the starting 11 I know maybe that's too negative but I don't you, you have to send a message to the manager that there might be even if it's two minutes in a final the last two minutes mm. there might be a situation that he needs you it might just be you know for James Ward-Prowse against the weaker teams you know could I start him against Iran or could he play the last half an hour against well, Iran this is, I, this is really unfair you need uh, to convince uh, what, do you, do you, are you saying that when players who are essentially fringe are not obviously first choice but I'm talking they about have fringe go, of the squad they have to go out the they have to go out wearing a silly hat and, and, <laughs> and telling jokes to catch attention you do what you do best and I think what I was trying to look for positives from this rather dire game the pos- one of the one of the positives was that I think what Ward Prowse does well is 
slots in and integrates and can see the runs of players he doesn't play with week in, week out. And he has that intuition and a, a sort of calmness, which is a very important thing to do. When we, we saw Scotland implode by being unable to be calm when it really mattered. Yeah. It matters to be a calm, sensible, grown-up footballer. And if Gareth Southgate... I'm sure he can see that or he wouldn't have brought him in. But looking on, I, I, think, I, I, think it's, I think it's incorrect to say, oh, we shouldn't, shouldn't someone like James Ward-Prowse be showing us more to prove... To prove his worth, I, I think he bit. did. I think he did prove his worth because that's what he's good at. Yeah, it's the quiet stuff. Yeah, because you mentioned the point about you've got five minutes to go and you need a goal, but there are also times when an England team, hopefully, there'll be times like this where you're two 0 up and you need to just mm. go the foot on the ball. There ain't no one better <laughs> than that, is there? And you know, you've got twenty minutes to go, yeah. and actually, you're going. Actually, we've got another big knockout game. Let's get Declan Rice off. Let's put James Ward-Prowse on. So I think Alison's right that you have that other way around, and I just think there was a combination of some players who fitted that mould more, i.e. we're going to be playing for a squad place, and that also becomes a factor. OK. All right, I'll take, you, I'll, I'll take it all on board. More right? interesting is why, when you've England have reached the final of the most recent tournament, only got knocked out on penalties, is the mood swinging against Gareth Southgate? Because we are spoilt rotten. But it's not absolutely it's not spoiled. just us, the media, is it? No, it's I mean the we. People. I'm, I'm making us we, we the people. We the game podcast, we the people. There's a new slogan because, for next season. <laughs> <laughs> because it's interesting. I mean, there, there has been, for me, I've said it before, I think there's a slight change of tone. You know, in terms of the personality that you think Gareth Southgate has been showing and you said it's his job at the end of the season to lift the players and maybe energise the situation. I do think he's reacting a lot to the public perception of him. I find, you know, I've been there as a, I've only filled in this season as an England correspondent, but I was there, you know, for a few months, the last couple of England camps. And he seems now to be responding to very, you know, it's almost like speaking to Boris Johnson at times. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. let me just, let me just, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. let me just, let me just explain what I mean. <laughs> yeah, All right, please, just, please okay, do. fine. Any, any member, of, any Tory member of cabinet, if you like, okay. in which. You're still going to need to explain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in which the question is is always refers to the things that we've done well before the answer to the question right so every time you ask a question it doesn't matter what that question is at some point during the answer it will be mentioned that we've reached the final of a european championship and that we've reached the semi-finals of a world cup but that was then you see what I mean? So you get this, you know, we were great with the vaccine rollout, even though the question <laughs> even though the question was about energy bills. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I Do you see what I'm saying? I, right? yeah, I yeah. see slightly what you're saying so, in terms so of the that's, PR. Exactly. So there's there's this constant PR of, well, look what we've done. You know, we, we, we may we may be perceived as negative, but look what we've done. We got to the final. You know, it's like, it's it's never about the game itself that's just happened or the, the day before or the night before. It's always about things that we've done. Well. And I think that is strange because actually Gareth Southgate has always been quite forthright and open and always said, this is how things are. Suddenly, it's how things were. That is a change for me. That is a slight change. But he has also said recently uh, in an interview talking about the Euros, we kind of planned, we'd set a target of getting to the final. Maybe if we'd set the target of winning it. You know, so I do think there's still that level of introspection there and analytical kind of management. You know, he might be kind of doing the PR a bit more in the press conferences, mm. but I would suggest that but, behind but, the scenes with the players, the, the work is still going. But I think that's why his mood has changed. 
because I think he now feels like there's a downer on him. I think he's feeling it more. And maybe he started to read the papers more. Maybe I think there's always been a downer on him. Maybe he's listening to the game podcast more often. I don't know. <laughs> but he's starting to feel like he knows people don't rate him that highly. But I think there's always been a downer on him. You know, when you think about how he got the job, but there's and a then that there's, continues, there's, a there's, there's a constant level of surprise when we've done well in tournaments. And then it kind of everyone comes round to my view that he's you know one of the greatest England managers ever of the last 50 years no but I don't think he's ever been that high no but here's the thing before he was trying to prove to people that he deserved respect and I think he feels that he has done that yeah so now he's reached a point where so it's now like, he's miffed he's not getting it exactly I think that's completely fair yeah but that for, that for me has changed his character and personality somewhat you know it was before it was well wait and see and now it's what a minute wait a minute where's you know, we've we've delivered, haven't we? Why aren't you giving me compliments? Why aren't people saying I'm a good manager yet? Like, I've, what more did you want me to do? Did I have to win the Euros? Did I have to win the World Cup? And I think that mood, like, we're, we're seeing a different Gareth Southgate. I'm not saying it definitely has affected his players, but it's it hasn't felt like the Gareth Southgate that was punching the air in his waistcoat not too long ago. It's just not the same guy. I think, I think the job has changed, and I'm not sure he's the right person for the new job because the... I mean, and in some ways, he created the job. Sorry, we should have had got. a gasp there, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> he's created the job he's had because it was about uh, repairing the relationship with the players and the media and the players and the supporters. And it was bringing through young players and uh, making them mature and feeling part of a group. And he was somebody who was very good with, with players under 25 and giving players a chance. I mean, no England manager in the history of football has ever given so many people caps. And so it's a, it was this sense of being an, an infant school teacher who's then asked to be, go on to take um, maths A-level at a secondary school. And he's not, that's not what he is, I don't think, having to think about more people who've matured and don't need him anymore. And, so that you know, he's, he's, he's dealing with different problems to solve and players that don't need him to help them. They're fully formed and have big roles at big clubs. And I don't think he knows how to make that integrate to become something magical. The best England manager will be one who makes England play better than the sum of their parts, adds a bit of sparkle and has the personality to deal with the big characters and well-paid people that he's dealing with. I think you're right. We could, I, you know, I don't think it's um, out of this world to consider a scenario in which Southgate leaves after the World Cup and after a World Cup, which might end up being disappointing for lots of England fans. That that could happen, but I do think that I disagree with you in the sense that that analogy of the you know the school teacher progression. I think he's shown as a manager, both on and off the pitch, a level of progression that means that you know going into the Euros, there were lots of question marks about. And they came back to Southgate and whether he's the right person for the job. And then he got us to a final. So I think he deserves the chance to show whether he can go again and improve and tweak and change again. But I do think that, you you know, you raise an interesting point about the future of England in a grander sense. I think he's going to come under pressure if he doesn't start certainly scoring from open play. 
you know, as Alison said, you've got to be, I think, equal to the sum of your parts would do at the moment in terms of <laughs> in terms of those attacking players because mm. it feels a waste. It feels a huge waste um, to have a squad like that, which is so top-heavy. Yes, we all know it, but if you're going to be top-heavy, then at least let that part of the team excel, even if you've got issues defensively. And at the moment, neither, you know, I guess the defensive side is, is good, not great. We don't concede many goals, but then I think when you talk about the forward players, it's, it's way off. It's way off. If he doesn't find a solution to that, not only will England not win the World Cup, he will get replaced. Next up from the Nations League, Scotland, who I think missed a golden opportunity to have a good start. It's officially, I think, a poor start to the Nations League. A poor result away from home. The Republic of Ireland beat them by three goals to nil in Dublin. That left Scotland with one win and one loss from their opening two Group B1 matches. Um, The Scots face Armenia away. That's tomorrow next. Uh, Ukraine will seek to maintain their 100% record against the Irish. Michael Grant from the Times joins us. He made the journey to Dublin to watch the game. What are your feelings after that, Michael? Where does this rank amongst recent Scotland performances? Oh, oh, well, it's certainly by far the worst, uh, Hugh, since Steve Clark took over three years ago. Um, I mean, you, sadly with Scotland, you never have to go into the into the distant past to find a, a, an embarrassing or horrific performance. <laughs> but I think uh, this is certainly the worst since Kazakhstan when, when Scotland lost 3-0 in, in the game that really did for Alex McLeish as manager. Um, now, you know, th- th- there has been some chatter about um, what Saturday in Dublin means for Steve Clark. I, I don't think we're there yet in terms of serious uh, discussion about the manager's future, but 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 that could change quite quickly if um, if Scotland slip up again uh, against Armenia. Armenia are a poor side. Scotland beat them quite comfortably at Hamden last week, but um, obviously Yerevan can be a difficult place to go to. It's Scotland fly out on Monday afternoon, five and a half hour flight. Uh, it will be hot over there. The team has got no confidence whatsoever after what happened in Dublin. So, you know, all, all of that could make it tricky, but they, they ought to win. Um, and that will, you know, that will calm the calm the, uh, the the mood around Scotland for a little for a little while. But um, yeah, re- really, really bleak in the, in the Aviva Stadium. Tell us about the past two games, because I think there was a bit of a reaction from the, I guess, Scottish football public to the approach that Steve Clark took when it came to that World Cup playoff game. In terms of the formation and approach in the past two matches, how would you rate what Steve Clark has done? Well, Steve Clark sticks pretty uh, firmly, or at least starts with with a three four two one, which really was a system that he uh, imposed on the team to, to find a way to get both Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson in on the on the left side. And and to be honest, it's been one of the big successes when they're both available. That I think the two of them work well together. They play off each other. One will go up, and the other will will uh, will, will stay back. They have a good understanding. Now, the problem, of course, is that when Tierney is uh, out injured, as he currently is, and he will miss all, all of the four games that Scotland are playing in June, it, the, the, this, the, that system is not so effective. Um, you don't have somebody you know, bursting forward from the back and, and, and taking the ball on. You don't have somebody um, combining with Robertson down, down the left. So that has been, a, that has been one of the, the criticisms of Clark over the Ukraine game and now Ireland. Um, but I must say, I, I, I think we can kind of... Um, we can over concentrate on, on on whether it should be a back three or a back four. When, uh, really, the, the the issue in Dublin was just poor 
individual defending and, and you know not attacking crosses, not having the aggression and the kind of will to um to, to beat your man. And Shane Duffy, who you know was was really kind of lampooned when he was in Scotland with Celtic, had a dreadful season with Celtic last season. Um, but he was actually a real handful for the Scottish defence in the uh, in, in, when he was up for corners and they got the first goal from it. So uh, yeah, so I mean that's been Scotland's conceding far too many goals. They conceded three to Ukraine, another three to Ireland, and of course the, the, they've also dried up in in, in terms of scoring. Um, five games this year, not a striker has scored for Scotland since uh, last November. Michael, can I ask what the mood is in the press box? I mean, you say you don't think it's quite the time for Steve Clark's future to be assessed, but there, there comes a tipping point with every manager when there's a yeah. mini crisis, and the media that know him well and follow the cl- you know the team around go with them to a point, and then it. And then they, there's a U-turn. Are you? Do you feel that, that that's not close, or is it? Is there a lot of loyalty I, towards him? What, what's the mood? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, uh, Alison. There was always a tipping point. As I say, it was it was a Kazakhstan game for McLeish. I think it could be potentially if they were to lose in Armenia, it could be a tipping point because um, I think the the, the the media guys, the press guys, have been have been uh, pretty supportive of Clark by and large. You know, there was a lot of goodwill for um, getting to uh, Euro twenty twenty, getting through a tough away playoff in in Serbia on penalties. Okay, Scotland were pretty drab at the at the Euros themselves, but the country enjoyed being there. And we then had a good, strong qualifying campaign for the World Cup, which which tends to get slightly overlooked, but they finished second behind Denmark. They were pot three seeds and finished second. Now, that's the first time since Euro 2008 that Scotland have finished higher than their seeding, got them a playoff place. Um, so it, it, I, I'm not sure that we really saw this um, this June form coming, you know, this kind of collapse against Ukraine and then against Ireland. And, and although the Ukraine game was more significant, far more significant and, and, and painful in terms of the consequences. In some ways, the Ireland game is even more alarming because with the best one in the world, it's not a great Irish team. You know, they, they were under pressure themselves. There was a lot of criticism of, of the standard of their squad. A lot of championship players, English championship players, and yet they, they, they were all over Scotland. They, they outplayed them in every in every department of the side. So that, that's concerning. And w- w- the piece I wrote for, the, for this morning's paper was basically concentrating on the number of times that Scotland just failed to show up. You know, it, it happened in the two home games at the Euros. It's now happened against Ukraine. It's now happened against Ireland. And a team that we think is pretty strong with big names in it just doesn't seem to show up too often. Michael, you mentioned formations and kind of critiques over system and things like that. You've also mentioned Kieran Tierney being out injured. One of the things when international managers come under the spotlight is they're not picking the right players. There are other players in the you know missing from the squad. Is is that the case with Clark as well, or is he kind of working with with, with what he's got? Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, you know you know you know how it works in, in management when, when when results are poor, you know everything comes under the spotlight and it's it's almost open season. I think by and large, people are generally generally happy with the team that he picks. I mean, we don't have a, a huge um, pool of, of players. I mean, there's, there's quibbles. At the weekend, there was people saying, well, John Souter played well in midweek, the, the defender who's about to move from Hearts to Rangers, and he could have stayed in the back three. I suppose the biggest selection 
um, question is always whether Scott McTominay should be in midfield or, or, or defence. You know, Clark often plays him on the right uh, side of the of the of a back three. It doesn't always work. But then, you know, at its best, Scotland's midfield is the strongest aspect of the team. But but no, I mean, I mean, I think there are quibbles about one or two selections. But by and large, I think most people would pick pick the eleven that um, that he has put out, or, or you know, most of them. But it's just been the, the failure to get inspired and passionate and aggressive performances out of them with a, with a bit of energy and tempo. And of course, you know, that's there's been there's been questions about are the players tired? Uh, is it fatigue? Is that a trip too many? Or sorry, a kind of tour of duty too many? Now, uh, you know, I've heard similar things about England, whose performances have been have been relatively flat this month too, but. You know, that's a concern for Scotland because we all know that, you know, international football is now going to happen every June. There's, Scotland have two European qualifying uh, games next June. So, you know, we, we can't get into this mindset that the season finishes in May because for for Scotland and other national teams, it's going to keep going into June and uh, it's going to be a, regu- a regular annual test. Just before you leave us, Michael, deep down in your gut, if he, if he doesn't beat Armenia... What happens? I think the SFA will still be uh, loyal to Clark. He's got a lot of support in there. I think they would try and ride out the storm, um, but I think he would lose a lot of supporters. I think he would lose some of the media for the first time uh, because um, really they ought to be beating uh, Armenia, you know, with a bit to spare. I know, I know you know, maybe that sounds misguidedly uh, arrogant, but um, they should. They should. I mean, you look at the two squads; there's no comparison. So I think if if, if Armenia goes badly on top of Ukraine and on top of Ireland uh, Steve Clark's future becomes a discussion for the first time I think the SFA would would, would try and ride it out but um, that's what we would be writing about for the next three four days well I, I would be certainly <laughs> Michael Grout we look forward to it we'll see if it's a victory win lose or draw whatever it is for Scotland uh, we'll be reading your reaction in the times thank you so much for joining us on the game podcast Up next, I think Wales deserve a mention, don't they? They they ran the Netherlands very close in midweek, although they were beaten in the end, then managed to grab a one-all draw with Belgium at the weekend thanks to Brennan Johnson's late equaliser. The draw is a first point in the top tier of the Nations League for Wales. They suffered defeats by Poland and the Netherlands previously. But as I say, this point against Belgium was a very good one. Gary Jacob watched the match. Of course, he did for the times. Hi, Gary. Um, What? has the mood been like in this Wales camp? Because they seem to be a side that at least gives themselves a chance against most of their opposition. They, they're, they're hanging in there most of the time. They did it at the weekend as well. Um, and I, I think they're getting back to the Wales side that qualified for the Euros. I think that the some of the performances and the way they exited the Euros with a big defeat to Denmark, I think that dampened the mood quite a lot. And we seem to be seeing this resurgent Wales who are once again that side that looked like they could surprise us, just like in, in 2016. How do you see them? probably since the days of Coleman have been a side that have overachieved and managed to hang in games and get achieved results against better teams than, than, than they probably should have done on paper. Obviously against Ukraine, they were, they were totally outplayed and were very fortunate to come through that game. But if you look at the game against Belgium, 
they had some chances. Belgium had quite a few chances and probably slackened off at the end, really, and should have taken it to bed. But at the end of the day, Wales hung in there and they and they clung out a draw, and that could be quite a priceless draw for them if they actually want to try and stay in the, in the, in the higher-level Nations League. Against Holland, they made a lot of changes, so it's kind of it wasn't really a game you can kind of compare them to. But but Page said before the weekend that he felt that the game against Belgium was the first time he could actually pick a team with the World Cup in mind, partly because they just qualified, but also because I think he's thinking about well, what what am I going to do there, and who am I going to pick for a tournament uh, for a tournament situation? For example, on Saturday he put Ampadu into midfield because it was evident against Ukraine that they were struggling in the centre. Joe Allen's legs probably aren't quite what they were in the past, and Ampadu can add that extra little bit. Um, unfortunately, Allen got had a hamstring injury and he went off, so that was one change, uh, and I think that. The, the, the interesting question is whether he tries, he finds a way to get Brennan Johnson into the team. It's, it's hard to see how he would do that unless he drops Dan James, which is perhaps not beyond the realms of possibility because James, for all his running, doesn't have much of a final delivery or, or, or a final shot, or, 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 or and, and that side of his game is still uh, needs to be worked on. And, and maybe Johnson will become a bit of a kind of wild card in Qatar, or maybe who who continues to use him as an impact substitute as he's done recently. On Rob Page, let's go back to him very very quickly. Um, has he changed the mood? Has he managed to re-galvanise his players, if you like, after the disappointment of the Euros? Because I feel like maybe it's qualifying for the World Cup, but they're building a, a wave as we head towards Qatar. They seem to be getting stronger. The unity is there once again. The smiles are back. Yeah, I think in, uh, at the Euros, it was a tricky situation and they probably realistically only probably played well in one of the three other four games they played, beating Turkey. In the other games, they, they weren't that well. And Denmark were just a much better team and, and totally outclassed them. I think now a year on, people like Nico Williams have had another year under their belt. Harry Wilson has another bad year. They've got they've got players at Ampadus has another year of football. The squad have kind of have got more experience with them. In them. Bale obviously has had, hasn't had as much football this year nor was Ramsey and I think they've kind of Bell made the point and they've started to kind of gel a lot more and probably that was one of the things over the recent over recent years some of the senior players in 2016 had retired and the younger ones coming through were very inexperienced and, and probably now they're just a, a, a much more there's more unity within the within the kind of group and so I think going to the tournament he'll you, you, I think probably uh, it's, it's not going to be easy for them United States is on, on a pushover and obviously they've got England and Iran so it's not going to be easy for them but they've, they've got a way of playing and it, and it works for them and so that they, they won't be easy to beat Gary, if if Rob Page went out for a beer with you and he was being completely honest, where <laughs> where would he want Gareth Bale to sign for? What what would be the perfect build up for Gareth Bale? looking at November? That's a very good question. Uh, strangely, uh, I would kind of probably say somewhere near Cardiff. If it's not Cardiff, it has to be somewhere near Cardiff because he can go home to his parents, he can go home to his own house, he can play golf in South Wales and also he can use the physios that are down there, which is going to be important. Um, Bell made the point this morning on, on in the press conference that he didn't feel like he was match fit coming into these internationals because he hadn't played much uh, over the season, but he felt like he could 
could have played more um, and and effectively the club weren't playing him uh, and he, he had more fitness than, than people believe that he has so I think uh, and he also made the point that he doesn't it doesn't matter which level he plays at which standard because a game is a game which I think opens the door to Cardiff and, and moves there I think if he if he's just doing it if, if Rob Page is asked he would probably say as long as the most important thing is for Gareth to be happy and probably most people assume where Gareth would be happy will be close to his parents in South Wales and there uh, it's really hard to see him far far away and then doing the kind of commute again it's, it's a good question what would you say Alison well no it's interesting that you, you you seem to think the priority for for the Wales management is his is his mentality and his happiness happiness but, yeah but he's, he's yeah. been he's been unhappy at Real Madrid and yet able to park it and do the business for Wales and um, I mean, I think that's probably one of the most remarkable thing about Gareth Bale, really. He's, all that negativity he's had around his not being picked for Real, and yet when he's trucked up for Wales, he's not looked like he's got a care in the world. So I think he could probably play anywhere in England, couldn't he? I think, he, I think he, he's, he dumped the negativity at the door when he arrives at the Wales camp. He sort of becomes a, a different person in, in, after about the first day. But I think he he's also made the point that he wants, he needs to play games. So I think that, that really does reduce the, the, the options. Is he going to get a Premier League team that's going to give him enough games? And and, and the other thing you've in the back of the mind that people are always going to think about was come September... Is he going to be quite? Is he going to be trying in quite the same way? Is he? He would be at the start of the season with back of his mind thinking, I don't want to get injured for the for the final. So that that's going to have a bearing on what club maybe are willing to take him or what manager, and he's going to want to call a lot of his shots about how he trains, when he trains. I mean, for example, he has a special training regime and, and, it, and it's all fit around him at Wales. He decides when they travel, how they travel, what they travel in. And so he's going to want something that kind of ticks a lot of his boxes, which well, I don't know whether a Premier League team will give him that type of luxury. I think people did did wonder whether he would go to the MLS and then and then go and take up some sort of golf, but um, he hasn't really bitten on that, and um, he doesn't give much away when you ask him about his his future. He's just said today that he will talk to his family and, and talk to the physios and and see what is best. I, th- I think the physios are going to be key for him. But where is physios? Where can he do the work with the physios that he needs to do to prevent muscular injuries that have kind of blighted him and ensure he can't, he, he stays fit? I mean, he was asked on Saturday how, what type of contract would you want and he suggested oh what maybe one or two years and then people sort of slightly laughed and they said well this, the assumption is that you will retire after the world cup and he, he didn't really bite on that but i think that's kind of the, what most people will think that he whatever contract he takes for the club come come january will say thanks very much and and that will be that will be him done yeah but you don't you don't know the impact of the pressure of that if you if the world knows you're going to retire after the world cup that makes the World Cup a different tournament than it would for most of the people competing, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's hard to seem to get to go on much beyond that, really. So certainly for, for Wales, it's hard to see if he's going to kind of hit the next Euros and, and whether he sees out the season at a club. It's debatable, really. I think maybe this time at Madrid is kind of not soured him and he, he said today that he felt that um, what he's achieved in his career if you're giving him what 10% of what he's achieved in his career he would have been happy but you, you wonder whether the last couple of years have sort of soured his feeling about football and 
um, in the, because of the way he's, he was, he felt he was treated at Madrid. It is wonderful the way that he's this sort of mega star, and yet he's so, you know, the way he hugs Sorba Thomas when they they yeah. beat Ukraine. It's like he's just one of the lads. There's no sense of slightly better than the rest of you about him at all. No, no, there never has been with him from sort of day one. Really, with Wales, he's always. He loves the country. He loves the younger players coming through. I think there have been a couple of times when you thought he probably deep down thought the younger players coming through weren't quite what they had in the past. And so perhaps like the Euros, they weren't going to achieve what they could have achieved, what they choose at 16. But a year on with the players who are a lot more experienced, you feel like they're more of a, they're, they're more of a, a competitive team now. But it, it, it was noticeable when they've had some videos of the camp and you see where the players sit is Bale, Ramsey, Gunter, Hennessy on one table, then the younger players on another table. So although they are all units, as you can see, it's it's all done by age. And he, he is one of the lads, but there is a kind of slight pecking order within there. Do you sit do you sit with the whales online, guys, when you have a cup of tea then, Gary, or do you only sit with the broad <laughs> <laughs> uh, Always, Alison, you know me. I, 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 <laughs> very, well, very well handled, Gary, very well handled. Uh, you, you know, I um, uh, everyone's the same to me, Alison. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us on the Game Podcast. We'll be reacting, I think, uh, to Wales who go to the Netherlands tomorrow alternate if you're listening on Tuesday uh, big game for Rob Page's side they did well against them last time would be incredible if they could go and win in the Netherlands Gary thank you very much life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at uh1.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, it's not often we speak about sponsorship deals uh, on the game podcast. This is not a, you know, this is not the the business pages of the Times taking over the game podcast by any stretch of the imagination. But it was an interesting thing. Lots of people reacted to on social media this week. Everton Football Club um, confirming a club record main partner agreement with Stake.com, which is, they say, a leading casino and sports betting platform. I think they stress in their second paragraph that it is the highest value front of shirt deal in the club's 144 year history. That is me quoting from their 
from their press release. And I think one of the things that was interesting to me was that there was a lot of criticism, in particular to Denise Barrett-Baxendale, who said after a previous sporting uh, gambling company sponsorship deal had come to an end, that in an ideal world, Everton wouldn't have a gambling sponsor. And I thought, well, you know, when people were criticising Everton, I thought, well, this this clearly is not an ideal world for Everton at the moment. They need as much money as possible. This is not even taking into account any feelings around whether there should be gambling companies involved with sport or football. It was just me simply saying that in the position they're in at this point in time, the highest value commercial deals they can do, they, they basically need to do. They're, they're in a bit of a financial hole, Everton. So I, I, I could understand the criticism on moral grounds but also in terms of the decision that the club made on business grounds I can also completely understand it but Alison Rudd you wrote a piece about this in the Times why did you feel so strongly about it that you thought I need to write a piece on this because on every level it makes no sense at all you've just raised a couple of them political and common sense level a government white paper is about to be released it's imminent probably within the next 10 days stating that gambling on the front of Premier League clubs shirts will be prohibited. But why on earth would you <laughs> why on earth would you sign a deal for for a piece of business that's going to be you know to all intents and purposes illegal? That makes no sense at all. Makes you think what were they negotiating this deal when they thought they were going to be relegated to the championship because you are allowed to wear um gambling sponsors on championship and below on the front of your shirts. Or have they devised some clever loophole where the the way they do the break clauses for clubs that are, have already bought into contracts with betting companies, they get they get a sort of free hit at this for a few months or something. But it's not it's not the future. I mean, it's, this is not this has not been a secret that the government were going to go down this path. The only reason there's been a bit of a delay on it is whether it was going to be a voluntary agreement made by the Premier League clubs or it was going to be imposed by the government. But either way, it's not going to be allowed. We're not going to have gambling companies on the front of Premier League shirts. So timing-wise, this is highly peculiar and, and speaks of either skullduggery or stupidity or something. It doesn't make any sense at all. And you, you say, Hugh, you know, these are tough times. Everton have had a loss of sponsorship in, um, as an indirect result of the ban on Russian business deals because of the invasion of Ukraine. But it's not that the um, the clubs will never tell you exactly what their deals are worth. But this is about 13 or so million pounds a year. And their deal with Kazoo was roughly 10 million a year. But you also make more on um, a deal that's um, slightly more ethical, if you like, because you're allowed to put that on on junior kits. So you, you you actually make quite a lot of money selling kits to kids because kids don't want shirts that don't look like the grown-up shirts or their hero shirts. So you, you 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 can factor that in, and if you market it properly, you can make quite a lot of dosh. We're talking we're not talking huge gulfs of income difference here. And then you've got how it looks. I mean, Everton got a lot of praise for for dumping a gambling sponsor and trying to find another route. Because it was raised at um, their AGM a few years back. Everton are really big on... Um, I know all clubs have their, their charity arms, but Everton are particularly big on mental health. They have a drop-in clinic, uh, which is a fantastic idea. 
you know, if you're, you're struggling, we you don't know where to go or you, you feel uncomfortable asking people, you can go in, you know, complete privacy to uh, fully qualified staff to talk about mental health issues. And so it was raised, you know, a lot of those issues will be people either um, embarrassed by or struggling with gambling addiction. How can you offer this as a service to your community while at the same time promoting gambling to... Because when you promote gambling on the front of a shirt, you're, gam you're promoting it to everybody, aren't you? Young children, the vulnerable, the impressionable, people who are struggling to avoid it in the first place. So, so how, how, can you, how can you do that? And uh, Denise Barrett-Baxendale, she, she admitted that didn't sit well and in an ideal world, she'd rather that they, they didn't do that. So that's the whole backdrop to this so the last thing you would expect is for Everton to come up with a, a deal with a, a, a betting company mm. it makes zero sense on any level if you can if, I mean I, I, I mean even the financial level doesn't really make sense as I've pointed out mm. I can still see why they've done it if that's really the, really if, if that's after the, all that <laughs> <laughs> if that's the most money on the table I can see why they've just gone that we need to take the money I'm just saying that. But I don't, they're not going to be allowed to take the money. Well, there isn't... Listen, there's the argument there that, that will be put forward by the Premier League clubs that there needs to be shown a causal link between the sponsorship... We're beyond that, Hugh. The, the, the white paper's about to be released. It's not going to be the future But it will be voted on, won't it? And sponsorship. Will it be voted on? It's one of those cross-party things that everyone's going to oh, okay. get, so get every, behind. It's so not, everyone's going to get it's behind It's not an it. issue in that so sense. So it's not going to be... Okay, that's what I was wondering, whether there was any chance of it not going through. Okay, all right. So it is gonna, it's going to happen. So I imagine there's a break clause in there that says, you know, we might get five million up front and then, oh, it's become illegal. We're going to have to drop it. And there will be something done with the, the company in question to, I think, maybe... Um, what's the word? I think appease them. They might be in stadium betting. They might continue to do that because a lot of companies have had that, haven't they? They sign up with a betting partner and people can bet inside the ground on the match, can't they? They can still do that. So maybe there's a bigger element to this sponsorship deal than just the front of the shirts. It might stay no, but on. Not, that's, not, um, that's, not, that's not going to be a problem. I think almost, I can't think of a club that doesn't have some sort of relationship with a, a betting company, but it's, it's, this is all about the impact of front of shirt sponsorship. This is... This is the point. Even when Everton dumped their old betting partner, they still did other projects with them. Mm. I think it's an, it's an interesting one, generally speaking, because of the amount of advertising that we see for gambling around football in general. Um, will there still be advertising in stadiums for gambling? Absolutely, there will. It's it is a very this is a very specific thing. No, is, it's still a, it's still seen as something that allows smaller clubs to exist. It's a it's a really important revenue stream. And I think I, I think the interesting part of this white paper legislation is that, yes, they're saying, yes, you can play if you're playing in the championship, which is still high profile, but not he's not on telly as often. You can wear you can wear whoever you want on the front of your shirt. But it's very specific to the Premier League. They just feel the Premier League is so sexy, so influential that they just don't want. And it's everywhere that they, they just feel that it, you know, it, it's seditious almost it it reaches beyond levels that they want it to reach, that it's getting to, to young people and, and forging this sense that gambling's fine. It's the way you should go because it, the, because of the status of the Premier League. This is specifically a Premier League thing. And Everton, they may have forgotten, but they stayed up. They're still a Premier League club. What do you think about it all, Tom? Well, I think 
one of the things we're coming to is the idea of a shirt sponsor being the kind of the prime real estate, if you like, of the the sponsorship. Well, it is, and, isn't it? And, and and you're right, and I think it is because um, Alison talked about it there with the you know kids kits and things. And if you think about a lot of these companies that in recent years have sponsored Premier League teams. A lot of them, I can remember, you know, you get the press releases in your inbox and then you're going, who? who who's this company? Yeah. What? I've never even heard of them. You know, they're not the kind of mainstream betting companies that... There's a lot of global exactly. betting companies that want to sponsor football shirts. Exactly. But that's then the point where if you're then talking about the kind of responsibilities of these teams where kind of gambling as an addiction become can become a major problem, if you're then promoting these companies that people haven't heard of before... You know, because yeah. some some things that gambling companies do is that they can, you know, preventative measures for locking people out of accounts and not 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 allowing them to sign up. If you're then promoting companies that people have never heard of, but then they go have a ten pound free bet on us type thing. That's where it does become really problematic. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about the the rise of betting sponsorship on shirts is that a lot of those sponsors are companies that I'd never heard of before and are now household names and they are household names because they've been on the front of a Premier League shirt and that applies not just to me that applies to lots and lots of people in this country young and old and so I do think there's merit in the idea of banning them from Premier League shirts I think Alison makes an interesting point about you know the blurred lines between the championship and things like that because you could still argue okay well if two teams get to the championship playoff final and they're both sponsored by betting companies that game's one of the most watched games yeah. of the season, et cetera, et cetera. So but I, I think it's I think it's a, a positive thing if it were to if it were to happen, as it seems it will. I think Alison's point about Everton is more about the PR of it all mm. and the fact that they said one thing and have now done something else. And that is is really harmful in a in a broad sense because as Alison said, they got a lot of praise at the time for ditching the previous sponsor, and that's all been undone now. Would you ban gambling advertising from sports in the UK, personally? I think you'd then get into a very tricky problem. It, it particularly is working for broadcasters and the media as well, because let's be honest, a lot of the advertising that, you know, we're, we're a sports newspaper and a sports section. Quite often when you're in the past, when I've been doing, you know, newspaper pullouts and digital publishing, talking about sponsors coming in, Cheltenham Festival, all that kind of stuff, all the sponsorship, the advertising is often through betting companies um obviously horse racing is it's intrinsically linked but i think there's there, there are two different aspects here where the shirt sponsor because it is that prime real estate you can make the case that that would actually make a difference and then you could still make the case that you're allowed the revenue that is so important to other clubs a hoarding around the side of a ground in contrast to a football shirt mm. i think if you had some of these companies that as i said i'd never heard of before they're on the front of a football shirt I think if they'd been on hoardings around grounds, despite all the football that I watch, I think some of them would have just blurred into the background and I wouldn't have paid any attention. Yeah, I mean, it's a different effect. It has different effects on different people, particularly if you had a gambling addiction, though. You know, if you yeah. see any kind of advertising for it, you, I'm sure, are going to have a different reaction to someone that hasn't had that addiction previously. Uh, it's an interesting one for me because we've got stadiums named after companies, don't we? We've got the Etihad, we've got yeah. Emirates Stadium. We have big companies that have invested loads of money in football and we, we've had moral arguments about football and where we draw the line in terms of morality. And... I do think it, this is about a moral argument because, of course, we've seen other things banned from sport, 
you know, previously um, alcohol advertising, haven't we? We've seen smoking banned from from different sports as well. Now gambling's on on a similar list, and it's whether you, you know, where do we go in terms of what should be banned from being put on the front of a football shirt? You know, if there was an oil company with with immoral practices who sponsored a football team, would we say look? you know bad practices at this this company they shouldn't be sponsoring football teams either despite the fact they're in a different industry maybe we've already banned oil companies you don't see many oil companies alright as a bad example <laughs> but you know there are different practices in different industries and if it w- were to come out that a company had what we defined as immoral practice would we want them t- to have sponsorship removed from a football club no this is about normalising something that you shouldn't be exposed to when you're young I think that's the point it's just so it's, a, it's, a, so it's about young people it is a, because because the, the law already says you can't put a gambling company on the front of a junior shirt yeah so there's clearly they've decided and everyone's agreed to that no one's said oh what, don't agree with that everyone agrees that should you shouldn't do that you shouldn't have a five-year-old running around with a betting company blazoned on his, sh- his chest so you but they still want that's still what the child wants they want they want the replica kit. Mm. They ad- they have their heroes wearing gambling sponsorship. So it's it's just about following through that line of reasoning, really. That it's sleeves? just it's just too seductive. What about sleeves? Could we have a, a gambling sponsor on the sleeves? That might be one of the one of the small details that gets through the white paper. I don't know. We haven't mm. seen it. We haven't seen mm. it yet. It's just about that emblazoning of selling your soul to the gambling company I think regardless of the consequences does anyone know the first football club that had a sponsor on its shirt of any sort that had a sponsor of any description was it in the eight? was it early 80s no it was late 70s was it I think it was late 70s yeah uh, West Bromwich Albion nope Leeds nope no idea Kettering really yeah really there that's, you go. A, that's good Good quiz, good, good yeah. quiz question. Any more questions? <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What was it? What was it advertising? Do you know in, in the upcoming podcast, the big fat quiz of the year? You know, we just turn that into a football-related one between us on the podcast. It might be. It might make a good episode in the coming weeks. I mean, coming weeks we've got Thursday show, and then we're taking a break before the women's era. So, <laughs> all right. So, so you want to do it on Thursday? Thursday, we'll right. the big well, fat quiz of the year. Okay, fine, great. I will see you then. You've signed up to it, Tom Clark. We'll get you on the phone, Alison Rudd. We'll see you very soon as well. Thank you both for being with me. I, there's no conclusion, by the way, to that conversation at the end. I just wanted to explore the themes, and I was, of course, trying my absolute best to fight one side of the argument that I you know has very little ground to stand on but there you go so just so you all know before you tweet me you know just trying to balance things out as we do every episode of the game podcast and we'll be reacting to these midweek games finally the Nations League comes to an end there are going to be some big signings to talk about on Thursday as well Uh, but remember if you enjoy the podcast if you enjoy the Times and the Sunday Times make sure you are subscribed sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game and we'll see you soon 